Boom, we are back. Bring in the closers, Ryan Ray alongside the man, the myth, the Oracle of Midland himself, Ben Samuels. Benny, how's it going? Going well, going well. Have to uh, brush up on my auctioneering skills that I don't have any of. Uh, you know, in a week and a half from now, I'm going to be helping a small uh, charity auction event out here in uh, Midland um, run an auction. So that should be interesting. Um, first time out of the gate for that. Uh, let's see what else. Just had a good Thanksgiving. Was uh, you know around uh, just around Midland. Um, kind of laid low. It was nice and quiet. What about you? Would uh, you know, I assume you were with uh, the family? Yeah. Um, and I took a massive shot at you in the introduction, and you missed it. So that was lovely. Um, okay. Well, good deal. I, I don't know about missed, but. <laughs> okay. So we are. You and I in the process of launching a business together. I think we normally, normally, so this pre, we got to about the pre-show. The pre-show was extremely aggressive. And then somehow, like, we were on the outer bands of the hurricane, which is the, the, and the hurricane kept moving, but we stayed center and now we're in the eye. And so it's kind of like we're in the calm port of the, like, it should be pouring on us, but it's not. And we're in the center of the hurricane right now. It's really weird because it was it was extremely aggressive. It was so aggressive that you said you thanked me for getting you in the right headspace because you weren't aggressive enough because I came with a big overhand right to start off. So, anyways, um, I'm not sure what that means for today and the show. Is it be good or bad? But that's where we're at. Oh, by the way, we'd retire if we just recorded the pre-shows. That's neither here nor there. So, Benson, the question is, as we're getting ready to start a new business together, when do you pull the ripcord? When do you decide this is no longer a viable venture? How okay, so obviously there's let's just set aside that there's cash restraints, obviously, that people have. So there's certain restraints. So let's just pretend for a second that you that you don't have those. Not that you're Bill Gates kind of money, but you 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 have enough to keep going. Um, when is it what what is it a what? Is it a when? Is it a how? When do you stop? So I think there's some something uh, you know there's a lot there in the sense that, so sometimes it's just the time to sell the business because of life cycle things, right? Um, you're moving to a different geographic location, changing careers entirely. Um, you're looking to make some other pivot, you know, retiring. So th those sort of life events are, are you're not gonna be necessarily indicative of, of market or other factors, right? Um, you know, the, if, you're, if you're talking about sort of, you know, a going business in, in someone, you know, in the middle of a career, you know, I think that, Again, I, I think it can go back to it can be as simple as sort of what the driver for that, you know, for that business owner was to begin with. I mean, if, if it was just sort of financial stability and the ability to, to be comfortable and they can achieve that by selling, you know, maybe it's the right time at any time. Because, you know, if, if that's the goal and, and you want to go you know, be with the family or, or, or what have you, um, you know, that, that can be a simple. But, you know, and then. If you continue down that logic train, if you're talking about purely market driven, if you're talking about times to take exits, I mean, I think it gets well, much let's hold in maybe from a startup perspective, um, like you're launching okay. a startup and you're going, you're like, hey, I'm going to start this new venture. How do you determine that? Because on the back end, you're right. There's a lot of complicated things. You know, so for instance, if someone comes off you a 10x on your multiplier, you know, you're like, OK, I'm probably going to leave. Um if you're 65, you might take a, a 2X or whatever. But if you're saying, hey, you listen to this podcast and you're entrepreneurial and you want to start a business, how long do you, how do you gauge that? Because that to me, it's different, but it's just as tough. So the, I think the primary driver there is source of capital. Uh, you know, if you have a private equity 
offering backing you, you're, you're going to have a roadmap to an exit. You know, that, that's usually you know, in this market, it's anywhere from three to seven years, usually in that five to seven range. Um, you know, if you ha if you have financial uh, or sorry, family office uh, capital behind you, you, you know, you're having much more patient capital, and so you're probably looking at longer term projects. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a combination of your cost of capital, the capital resource, and then, and then, yeah, well, um, you know, what's like you said, you know, is if the goal is, I shouldn't say that the goal is 10x, but I mean, you know, if if the you know the collective, if the consensus is that 10x is sort of the the peak, and and you and you get in that range, you know, it's it's time to sell. I, I think there's, you know, if you and I were to you know either talk on air or off air about sort of the examples of the people that you and I uh, both you know know. You know, either that sold way too early or way too late in, in different ventures. I mean, that that it's a pretty long list, and so getting that timing right is incredibly difficult. Um, and also, one of the things that I've you know that I've seen time and time again is that you, know, you can sort of talk out that process you know to the T and have all the doc you know, documents in line that, that sort of govern what happens in, in any litany of different scenarios. But uh, you know, a lot of times, sort of the the human element of you know, the business owner wants to continue to hold, you know, the asset or, or you know, the, the, there's more sort of emotion in, I feel like, in that in that process than maybe there should be. What do you think about that? Yeah, it, it's, it's tough because if you build to sell, right, if you build to sell, you are really dependent. It's kind of like retiring when you're, uh, you're when your whole income is based upon your, your 401k. Like so, if your whole income, your retirement income, is based upon your IRA, your four hundred one k, your day that you retire is really a guess. Because if you retire, if you're going to retire in March of last year, right when the stock market's tanking, that's bad, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Of course, mm -hmm. if you retire six months later when the Fed's pumped it up, that's really good. Um, mm -hmm. And so you talk about the timing. I think that's a, that's a great point. So building a business now this isn't tech because tech's kind of a weird wonky thing in itself, but building a business that you're trying to sell is very tough because um, I'm talking to a guy right now who's, who's got a business. It's in high demand. People want to, people want to buy it. Um, it probably didn't have enough revenue to sell. Uh, it might, it's close. Um, and, and so the question that he, I don't know, I don't know what he's thinking, but I, I'm assuming he's thinking is, is it worth, you know, probably taking on some investors either for equity or maybe some, take, take on some debt scaling this thing up and then trying to sell it because he's interested in selling if the numbers are right. Like he, he wants to sell. Of course, think about that, right? If you take on, um, you know, a $2 million, $2 million um, amount of debt and the market crashes, well, now mm -hmm. you're stuck and you're, you're, you know, you're making a good living now. And so it, it right. becomes very complicated. So are we still in the error for traditional businesses? I'm, I'm saying traditional, not, not some kind of tech startup where you can build to sell or has that gone? No, I think that has to be sort of the ultimate goal, right? I mean, and we see it, you know, look at any of the different markets, look at, you know, really any of this, uh, the, the business cycles. I mean, private equity and family offices, those are the two that I mentioned. I mean, those those two uh, capital resources, you know, buckets are, are active, whoops, are active, uh, you know, at, at all times in all markets, just in different ways, right? And so, you know, I don't, I don't think that they, I mean, look at the last 30 something years. I mean, has there been a time where you know if you had a a profitable business that was you know well positioned that you know that you couldn't get fair market value for it i mean i think you i think you sort of have a an evergreen value there right yeah i yeah i think we, so when you when you're looking to exit to um the, the, the pe money 
I don't always think of those as true exits. I guess I should, probably should because I, I'm I'm I'm, pre- I'm presuming that a lot of those are going to want to retain CEO or the owner or whatever on the next on the next um, you know for the next three to five years. Um, hmm. But I guess if they're bundling up, they might they might not retain you. So I'm thinking about a true exit, but you could be right. You see, like so if PE buys you, they may want to keep you on for five years until they sell until they flip. So you you, you took a, a mini exit, but you didn't retire. Um, you didn't leave the business. You you stayed. There's no pivot involved. I think that happens less often than people think. Okay. Um, I I think that sometimes, and I shouldn't say sometimes, I think that it is common to have, you know, the prior business owner maybe stay on in some sort of board advisory role or in, in sort of a, a council role. Um, but, but, but I, I don't think it's very, I don't think it's very common that the business owner remains entrenched, you know, actually in the lead of the company. I think, I think the sort of one of the definitional piece, especially with private equity is that they really want to, you know, send it in a different direction. I mean, the reason they made the acquisition is, is usually because they, you know, they see a pivot to be made or, or, or something to be done differently. And, and generally that kind of takes new leadership. But So if you're building to sale, which is your thesis, then you're not building for the children or grandchildren. And that means you, you can't be sentimental over it, right? Does that and, 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 and so that means your hiring and firing decisions had to be viewed differently? Yes. I think unfortunately we are in a market right now where if you are Amazon, if you're a Walmart, if you are one of the big boys, you are at a such a competitive advantage towards the small, you know, the smaller brands that that the game the game I don't think is any longer to build generational wealth from, you know, you know, I I guess I hesitate to say that because you know that clearly is the model, right? But but it has to be. Let me say it this way, and I'm and I'm this is I'm curious. What do you think about when you're talking about sort of the generational wealth type things, the you know the DraftKings and the Dropboxes of the world, like the, the you know the massive blowouts, are those generally the you know that that person's or that CEO's that founder's first? gig out the gate, you know, their first try at this, it's usually not, right? It's usually their, you know, their fifth or sixth company, and they maybe have sold a couple of them previously, but they may, they may not, you know, they may have done terribly on a couple of them. I mean, so it, it takes a while to like realize that level of success. And so I think one of the things that people sort of forget sometimes in, in looking at this, those massive success stories is, you know, the failure rate sort of even with those people, one, until they like found the idea that broke them through. Right. And if they hadn't found that like new idea, they would have, you know, they would have sold a business for a couple million bucks and like they would have had that. But then on their eighth try, they founded, you know, yeah, they founded Dropbox, you know, and, and now they're right. And so I, I, I think that's, you know, that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. And so, it, it, and I think we probably should talk about tech here a little bit because um, in the tech space, you can sell a terrible company pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, right now you're seeing eight, you know, eight to ten x multiples on right. on Yuta. Uh, yeah, and, and if you're a traditional business, that's not always the case. You might have a you might have a a not streamlined business, or it might have some problems. But it's but you know it's just different, and, it, and that's and that's what's so weird. And so we kind of have two worlds here. You have the kind of the tech world, which is doing all this stuff, and you have the kind of the traditional. What I'm calling traditional, um, and it's two different spots. And so, how do you, you know? 
on some on some level, we're all benefiting. I know you're big in the tech stuff, and I'm kind of learning about it. We're all benefiting from all this tech ingenuity because there's all of these um, SaaS startups and all this stuff. There's all these little tools and functionalities that will make it better to streamline your um, you know small business. So when I owned R Square Global, or when I was before I owned it, even you know we were always looking at different applications and how you make stuff. And so some of that stuff was like you know big corporate legacy companies, and they had big big legacy type mentalities. Well, now there's all these startups out there that would have small one-off solutions that would make things so much easier. Um, if I still own that company to, to implement, Oh, we can try this or oh, we can try this because it's built for it's, it's, it's a small person. I say small person, like as in it's a, you know, one or two people is built for small companies, whereas big companies trying to make solutions for small businesses. That's that, that doesn't always work. And that's a good example of, you know, kind of a counterpoint to what I said earlier in the sense that, you know, in, in the SAS, you know, in the startup space, there's a lot of times where, you know, one of like, so you know, Google does this all the time. I mean, literally hundreds of times, you know, hundreds of times a year, uh, they'll, they will buy a small company for a few million dollars simply for the IP and the idea that the company was working on. And, and, and they sometimes clean house, you know, to your point earlier though, they will sometimes just bring the company sort of into the Google machine and just, you know, keep doing what you're doing, but we now own you sort of, you know, sort of deal. Um, and so if you're in the tech space and, and you're in the start you know, the startup tech space, there's I think there, there's a roadmap to, you know, sort of latching yourself on to one of the, the majors rather than you know trying to create your own lane. True, true. But then there's the risk that they may walk in and go, Oh yeah, we can duplicate this in thirty seconds. <laughs> You hear those stories, right. <laughs> and, and, and that and, and I, I mentioned IP for that for that reason. I mean, you have to have an idea, of, an idea that really can't be like that duplicate book. But you're absolutely right. But you know, you, you say that, but you know, they, I forget, it wasn't it wasn't Amazon. I think it might have been Amazon. Somebody bought Ring for a billion dollars. All mm -hmm. it really is, quote unquote, is a you know video camera doorbell. You can mm -hmm. reverse engineer. That's not all that company. You know, is that idea worth a billion dollars? No. I don't know. Right, not, and so I tried off. <laughs> well, now you're. You know, I mean, that's a little on the nose. That's what I'm sorry. Mean, yeah. This isn't built with the facts. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's not. Um, I feel like we mentioned that show on this show, uh, like at least once a week. At least that's an aggressive, aggressive low, low number. Okay, so then the question to my is: Should Bob listening right now? Should Bob? Go all in on tech because that's where the that's where the money's at. And for being honest, um, that's where there's a billion niches. Everybody talk about niches. Tech's tech's the ultimate niche world, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, um, I saw you comment on a post yesterday uh, from I guess it was Sam Parr, where Sam Parr interviewed some guy who made like twenty five million on a Chrome on a Chrome extension. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, what? Okay. Sure. Did you what that was? No, I haven't yet. I need to reach back out to him. Um, but um, no, it's yeah, two-person startup, two-person company pulling in was it twenty-five million a month? I think it was a month. What? Is something crazy? It, I mean, something. Yeah, something. Something absurd. Some, I mean, even twenty-five million a year. But like, it, it was, it was a number. Um, yeah, it was a so, number. But so so real quick for you answer. So think so you have that. Would you have this? So you're not going to start a service company making that. That's not happening. Okay. Um. You're just because the, the amount of capital it costs, all that. It, but but the failure rate for Chrome extension tabs is probably a gazillion percent. So yes. So do you go with the I'm gonna go do a tech startup, or do you go with the 
no, I'm going to the sweaty startup kind of guy. I'm going to go do the traditional um, service company or your product company or whatever. Oh, it, really quick. It's um, it's over 25 million in revenue. It is it, it, it's on a year. So probably a year. Yeah. So, yeah. It is but, 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 okay. But that's, it's, oh, it's, it's only him and one other employee. Not right. even a, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah it's a two person. It's a two person company. Yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was two founders. Like they're splitting even. Oh, even. So he's getting like no. 90 million. <laughs> no. He's probably got a VA in like the Philippines. He's subbing that out to like, like that's answering emails. <laughs> Again, a little, a little bit too on the nose. Uh, what was the question? Did you ask me a question? Yeah. Yeah. So Bob, listen right now. He goes, okay. I'm never going to make 25 million a year doing service work, right? Like that's because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what it costs to run a Chrome extension, but it can't be a whole lot. So 25 million in revenue is probably 24.8 in profit, right? Sure. If you did 25 million in revenue in a service company, you might have 500,000 to 2.5 million in profit, depending on what kind of business you got. Or wait. No, sorry. So, sorry, I, I like replayed that in my brain. No, no. I mean, it's the the startup space, you know, in the tech world. I mean, they're they're notorious for just hemorrhaging money. No, I mean, no, no. They, I'm saying this guy that's making twenty four. I'm saying no, no. The guy's making twenty five million a year in revenue. It's yeah. him and one other person, right? Oh, right. Yes. He's probably making twenty four point nine million. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I bet like their marketing budget and like the money that they're pushing out the door is probably substantial. Oh, for even for the Chrome extensions, really? Yeah, I mean to make it to make whatever. I don't know what it is, but I'm assuming if they have one of the. I mean, so in order to have one of the top Chrome extensions, I, I would imagine the marketing budget in order to make that, you know, as ubiquitous as it is, would be substantive. Those, I mean, those companies, the ad spend is unbelievable. Okay, okay so what do you think uh, the margin is? I think in that business, you're looking for. Somewhere between seventy and one hundred percent. So you're you're saying he's making how much? He's probably he's probably you know like take home. I don't know where I don't know where his tax rate is, but I mean his gross is his gross is probably ten to twelve. Okay, ten to twelve. Okay, well twelve would be fifty percent. Twelve point five. Yeah. So forty to fifty percent. So to have a certain so, so for him and one other employee, mm-hmm. so no headaches basically. The headaches are the code and one employee. To to get a service company that gets a forty percent return or fifty percent return is going to be hard to find. And you've got massive amounts of employees to bring home ten to twelve million a year. For for what it's worth, by the way, I um I could be wrong about this, but when I read the tweet, um I sort of I internalized that as it's um, he and one employee, but you know like. Going back to sort of uh, you know your your, uh, your side comment, you know I think they probably have teams of VAs that are doing like back end support work, but they have like two employees. That's sort of how I took that. Um, if it's actually just two people doing all the work, that's a lot of work. Well, so um, the tweet tweet says, has anyone heard of companies like this? Small, less than five teams that have huge Chrome or WordPress plugins like that. So I took that to mean that the the, the two people. Is literally two because the the rest of the tweets asking for five or less people. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking you might be right. I don't know that they're not counting the headcount or they're not. Yeah, they're not including the headcount. Okay. Let's the let's not get the nuance here. The question, I guess, is the margins on the tech is is far better than service than service products, depending on the product. Mm-hmm. But if you had let's you have a tech product, right? So, yep. 
but the but the space is so much more competitive. So is it better to try to start a traditional business, or is it better to um, go tech, go big, go home? I think at that point it comes down to like core competencies, and and I mean you know you and I are notorious for throwing out business ideas like for things that we have no business. Right. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Come on the nose. Well, literally the other day, <laughs> the other day, you proposed an idea to me. I said I know nothing about it. There's a lot of money to be made. That excites me, and that's what gets me going. So yes, I'm in. Like so, let's go. Just, just <laughs> I think that was for exactly context, happened. For context, by the way, like over the years, I've I've provided Ryan a number of business ideas that are like uh, you know seemingly right in his lane. Like none of them have landed. He told me they're basically all all garbage. Like yeah, the one that I'm like, he's got no no reason to think that he can do this and there's no like there, this doesn't make any sense that was the one he was like sign me up let's go so <laughs> don't really know what that says but hey <laughs> the worst problem is you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> even with the backdrop of ron offers no value here yeah bring you on <laughs> point ryan point ryan yeah. got nothing <laughs> But so, let me phrase it this way: Do you buy into the narrative that you should you should try to compete in businesses, generally speaking, that have um, less MBAs, less engineers, less gurus involved? That's kind of the sweaty startup guy's thesis, which is he competes in the area where there's less competition, uh, all the smart guys, and so he succeeds there. So if you go to Silicon Valley. You're competing with a bunch of wizards. I'll, I'll answer it this way. The best businesses to own, I think I, I think I can comfortably make this blanket statement. The best businesses to own are the super boring ones. The boring ones that you do the exact same thing day in and day out, but they're the high margin businesses that you have steady, you, that you never work. You know, it's an entrenched business that you don't have to worry about a customer base. And so like these things can range ever, anywhere from look if i was you know about to start a you know insurance restoration firm for houses i'd be looking to move to oklahoma and getting into you know tornado and hail insurance uh for 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 roofs or i mean like you know so you can sort of build the thesis around you know where you're at um but but yeah or you know like one of the ideas that we had you know we talked about earlier today i mean you know it, it can be just the you know the the Sort of the dirty, overlooked—you know—I shouldn't say dirty, but the you know the overlooked jobs and, and businesses that you just need in order to run life that that arguably are, are much better bets. Because on the on the tech side, going back to my previous example, on the tech side, you know, if if you are trying to start a business and it's your livelihood, you know, maybe you don't have the maybe you don't have the runway or the desire to to fail seven times before you hit it out of the park on the eighth. Maybe you know you want to own a business. And build something that they, like you said, you can hand down to your kids and, and you know, and, and pass on. And that that model is much more suited to, you know, a home cleaning business or car, you know, mobile car wash or you know, those sort of things that are, you know, you know, you're getting business year round. And and, and to your point, I guess the other side of that is that you're not going to have a situation. So if you own like a, uh, um, yeah, if you own a mobile pet washing. Uh, truck and you're in a big city 
I don't imagine there's going to be a time where like there's too many of those things on the road where there's too much competition that like you're not getting enough business. I think it pro- probably comes down to marketing and positioning, which arguably is where you want to be. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that is some of the richest people in the world, not the world, okay, some of the richest people in the U.S. are in industries that have the lowest barrier of entry. Keep that in mind. So um, high barrier of entry, sometimes, yeah, okay, I'm not a fan of that from a political standpoint, but all these tech moguls who make gazillions of dollars, the barrier of entry is nothing in tech. There is no barrier of entry. It's just, can you do it? Um, and so some of these businesses that you're talking about are on the opposite side of the spectrum, but there's no barrier of entry to start a, you know, okay, a very low, a very low barrier for like a pesticide business or, or whatever. So, okay, Ben, final thoughts before we get out of here. I was going to say tune in or don't let the facts, but you won't get this podcast out fast enough to do that. It's um, actually, we're actually, it's not coming out until next week, but whatever. I think you're here or there. That's, that's not important. Um, nope. Uh, I think, uh, as always, you said uh, many wise things. Um, what? You say, you say you want to say something. Go ahead. Oh, um, last year, last week I got yelled at for, for trying to make a pitch for like a website that, that I'm affiliated with. So I won't, I won't do that. Um, it's been good. I, I, I've enjoyed the, uh, the Thursday. It's, uh, you know, it's refreshing to actually have this, you know, record at the time we're supposed to. So appreciate you being along for the ride. Yeah. And there's a program programming note here. Ben and I might have reached a truce. And so that that's stay tuned for that with that. We'll talk to you next week.